All banks, insurance companies, and other financial institutions in New York State and regulated by New York State are now required to comply with New York's cybersecurity regulation, which is designed to ensure that everyone in the industry establishes and maintains an effective cybersecurity program. Hi, I'm Matthew Schwartz, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. And to learn more about New York's DFS, I'm speaking with attorney Paul Ferrillo, a senior litigation, corporate, and cyber governance lawyer at Weil Goschel Manges, a Global 10 law firm. Paul, Thanks very much for joining me. Good morning, Matthew. Thank you for inviting me to this podcast. So just to set this discussion up, can you give me some highlights, please, of what the New York DFS is requiring? Be happy to. Think of it, Matthew, as a playbook or a guidepost. What are the most important things that they want entities covered by the rule And as you said, these are entities that are regulated or doing business in New York State, and there's a whole definition. But what are the most important things that these entities should be doing? For instance, what policies should they implement and maintain, like privacy policy, like asset inventory, like a security policy? Should they have a designated officer like a chief information security officer, or we'll call it for today the CISO, who's responsible for the security of the data within the firm? Should they be doing vulnerability and risk assessments? The answer, of course, is yes, and a lot of them. So it's a long rule. There's many parts to it, but I look at it as These are the essentials. These are the highlights. These are the most important things that New York deems to be important to the security of the data at the financial institutions, banks, insurance firms, you know, that do business in the state of New York and the city of New York. One of the aspects of the regulation that I think has captured a lot of attention is the breach notification rule and organizations being required to alert authorities within 72 hours of discovering that they may have had data exposed? Yeah, that is a difficult one or will be a difficult one for many for a lot of different reasons. Unless you're an exchange, federal law doesn't mandate any particular time that you have to give notice. A lot of notification requirements are left sort of touchy-feely and fuzzy about when you really have to notify. That's different in some states here in the United States. But, you know, the key point here, and this comes up a lot, Matthew, as we are dealing with clients who also have to deal with the EU's GDPR, is how on earth do I get my arms around a breach and be able to discuss it or disclose it with a regulator within 72 hours? That means I need to know about the breach. I need to have, you know, documentation about the breach. I have to know what happened. And sometimes when you get into the weeds of a data breach, you don't know what happened. And you might not know what happened for a significant period of time. You wouldn't necessarily be expected to know everything that happened. This is more of a heads up, right? And then you loop them in and update them, presumably, as the investigation goes forward? Right. But, big but here, but consider what happens if the regulated entity is also a public company and is making a disclosure to a regulator 
about a significant data breach, you may not be initially required to give full and complete documentation and you know what happened from A to Z. But if you're a public company, you may want to be able to give that initial notice as comprehensively as possible to get the bad news out there so investors and the public know that the company is adequately handling the breach aggressively handling the breach, dealing with regulators, dealing with the FBI or the Secret Service. So, you know, notice is a funny thing. Sometimes for some companies, notice may mean a simple notice, but for larger companies, larger clients, public companies, notice could mean a lot more depending upon the facts and circumstances. Now, do we know if you provide notice, if New York will then immediately make that information public? Or is it possible that there would be a period of time in which you would be liaising with regulators and this would be not a public matter? Ugh, that's an excellent question. And, and we run into that a lot under different laws and regulations. We run into that when um, notification of potential criminality must be given to the FBI or the Secret Service. What is public? When does it have to be public? And there's not a lot of good answers. It depends upon, you know, the guidance of your incident responder, your law firm, for instance, your crisis communication firm, you know, when and what sort of notice is given. Obviously, this is, again, fact specific. But to be clear, if the breach is substantial, and you're an entity that's regulated not only by the SEC, but by New York DFS, it could be something where public notice has to be given because you're dealing with a public company and shareholders and investors and markets. So there'll be a lot of questions that are going to need to be sorted out. But remember, in 500.17 of DFS, Notice must be given when there's cybersecurity events impacting the covered entity of which notice is also required to be provided to any government body, self-regulatory agency, or any other supervisory body. So with the New York DFS requirements, there is a lot of overlap here or potential overlap with both federal state law and soon to be the EU GDPR. That's a great point because, again, GDPR is going to require notification within 72 hours. Possibly we will see other agencies and countries picking that requirement up as well. Now, with regulations, Sarbanes-Oxley, for example, GLBA back in the day, more recently now with the SEC, a lot of the common wisdom or common advice has been, look, don't try to comply with all of these in isolation but try to meet the bigger picture and then prove compliance with everything that you then have to comply with. Is that approach to dealing with these overlapping regulations still the dominant modus operandi, if you will? You know, I feel bad for the larger clients here who have this overlap problem. And we in the United States have been very lucky in some respects that the NIST cybersecurity framework came out in 2014 well before any of these after-thought-out regulations by the SEC, DFS, or EU GDPR. We got in front of the framework, taught it to our clients, and when you peel the onion a couple of layers, you find out that there is a lot of overlap. 
And there is a lot of things that if you do it for the framework, it equally applies to the SEC Office of Compliance Inspections and Examinations. We call that OC, SEC OC. And also by complying with OC, you are literally complying with New York DFS. So we've been trying to give best advice possible to clients about how compliance with the framework, you know, again, compliance is a funny word too, right? Showing adoption of the framework, adoption of policies, procedures, board involvement. We've been trying to use the framework as sort of the primer for being compliant with other regulations issued under federal, state, or the EU GDPR. It's not easy. There's differences. As you know, under the EU GDPR, it's very privacy-oriented. So you have to do privacy impact assessments. So there's some differences too, but I think there's a lot of similarities, and that's what we try to teach clients. You mentioned vulnerability and risk assessments as one of the things that organizations should be doing. How essential are these? How many firms are doing these things? And how many more firms need to get into the game? Well, that's an excellent question, Matthew. And we've been in the forefront of recommending vulnerability and risk assessments. Thank God, starting that a few years ago. But what recent events have shown us in the last six months is that vulnerability assessments, say, for instance, which look at the holistic nature of your network, security, people, processes, and systems, what happens if you don't have a sufficient patching policy in order to make sure that critical vulnerabilities are patched within 48 to 72 hours? What happens if you don't have proper backup procedures? So, you know, if you get hit with ransomware, vulnerability and risk assessments critically important. I started with a very heavy securities and governance career and had to deal with and still deal with today Sarbanes-Oxley type requirements. We're now in a situation here where if companies and boards are not looking at risk assessments and vulnerability assessments, how on earth are they supposed to be fulfilling their oversight duties to companies? Really difficult issues here. And of course, cyber changes every week about what you should be thinking about, what you should be looking about. So really tough questions. And now what exactly does the DFS require of boards when it comes to cybersecurity? Well, this is probably, and for listeners, I would point them to section 500.17, which says that annually each covered entity shall submit to the superintendent that's the superintendent of the Department of Financial Services, a written statement covering the prior year. The statement shall be submitted in such a form as in the appendix certifying the covered entity is in compliance with the requirements set forth in this part. So this is a, a, a huge one-of-a-kind provision, one-of-a-kind at least to date, which is requiring a written certification of compliance with the New York State DFS cybersecurity regulations. It raises a ton of questions. One, if I'm a board member, how on earth do I get comfortable with 20 different regulation parts of the New York DFS rules, that I have the proper policies and procedures, that I've done the right vulnerability assessments and risk assessments? 
Two, how do I get comfortable with the controls, hardware, solutions, and monitoring that the entity is doing? Three, and big issue, as you know, from recent breaches, how do I get comfortable that I'm considering the trusted third parties and vendors that have access to my systems? If you're a large company, I've seen this, you could have eight or 10,000 vendors. And the truth is you own the cybersecurity of your vendors. They have access to the network, you are responsible. And then the biggest question as a lawyer, a litigator, an advisor, what happens if this certification is wrong? What happens if a director in good faith signs something, but for no reason, malware was sitting on their network for several months prior to the certification? So I'm a director, I signed off on compliance, and then there is a tremendous breach. Now what do I do? It's going to raise some interesting questions here in New York and even better or worse, depending upon your perspective, what happens, you're signing the certification, but this directly overlaps with federal law, meaning SECOC, or it overlaps with the EU GDPR. If I'm a director, am I signing, you know, am I creating a bullseye on my back by doing such a certification? Now in Europe, a lot of the emerging views on how GDPR is going to be enforced by the enforcement agencies has been if you make a really good faith effort and if you are clear about when things go wrong, they're going to look much more favorably upon you rather than if it looks like you were trying to hide something or there was criminal activity. Obviously, GDPR, they can wield up to 4% of annual global turnover or 20 million euros as a penalty. Do we know what sort of penalties organizations might face under the New York DFS? Today, no, we don't know. We can look to other areas of law that we have seen happen, like SCPA, like SEC rules and regulations. New York, as you know, has been one of the more active states in the United States from a regulatory perspective. Getting back to your opening question about good faith efforts, Amen and hallelujah. I think that it's critically important for directors and officers and companies to get their arms around these regulations quickly. If you can't get everything done, get as much as you can done of the key critical key elements like policies, procedures, incident response plans, business continuity plans. And we stress a lot, as you may know, Matthew, from some of the books I've written, we also stress a lot too should you be updating your hardware to artificial intelligence and machine learning solutions to have more visibility into your networks, to give you a head start or a jump on the incident response times here, 72 hours. There's a lot of other issues too that cybersecurity strategists like me are thinking about is how do you put your client in the best position possible? Paul, thanks very much for your insights today. Well, Matt, it's been a pleasure to be speaking with you, and I hope we can speak again soon. Sounds great. I've been discussing the New York DFS, amongst other cybersecurity regulations, with Paul Ferrillo. For ISMG, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Thank you for joining us.